Hey folks, my name's Kyle. I surf, I make movies, and I love asking questions. These are conversations with fascinating people I meet along the way. And this episode is with Thomas Morton. Thomas is a writer, producer, and on-camera correspondent for Vice. During his tenure at the magazine, Morton wrote first-hand accounts of infiltrating religious cults, competitive binge eating, and living with a Dominican family for a week. He was also the first non-gigolo to attend and report on the gathering of the gigolos. When Vice launched its online video channel in 2007, Morton began appearing as an on-camera correspondent in numerous documentaries and video series covering environmental catastrophes in the Pacific Ocean, the Louisiana Gulf, and the Brazilian Amazon. Morton has been a producer and correspondent for Vice HBO since 2013. And from 2014 to 2015, Morton served as a field reporter and host for Noisy's music documentaries. In 2016, Vice began broadcasting a new television channel called Viceland. Morton currently hosts a long-form pop anthropology docu-series, whew, that was a mouthful, called Balls Deep. <laughs> Get it? Mouthful, balls deep, which features in-depth investigative pieces focused on different American subcultures in each episode. Before we get this thing going, I wanted to thank all of you who have gone over to my website, kyle.surf, and donated to this podcast. By donating to the podcast, it enters you into a monthly raffle where I give away all kinds of gear from my surf sponsors, including Patagonia Provisions, RPM Fitness, and Sector 9 Skateboards. So a big congratulations to Michael, who was the winner of the RPM Fitness Kit this month, and Karina, who has a box of Patagonia food being shipped to her doorstep right now. All right, without further preamble, please welcome Thomas Morton. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. So what are you doing out here? Um, I'm kind of taking go drive up the coast. My girlfriend. Yeah. I'm taking vacay. Um, it's been it's been been on a kind of a sort of three-year working jag, uh, more or less, without uh, without breaks between the show we do for HBO and um, the Balls Deep, the show I do on uh, Viceland. How are, um, you, yeah. how are you spending most of your time right now? Are you spending most of your time on Balls Deep right now? It's like over the past two years, yeah, it's taken up the, the most focus. Um, yeah, like like far and away. Yeah. Um, because it's, I mean, like the HBO show, I'm one of, I th- like I can't keep track at this point, I think maybe 10 or 15 um, kind of on-air hosts. And then, you know, for each one of those, there's like at least two kind of like producers and then assistant producers. Like it's a huge crew. Yeah. And so when like, you know, 
like I like and I, I have a hard time keeping track of what like all the stories we're covering are and what everybody's up to just because they're so I would so bet. much of it yeah and are a lot of uh, <clears throat> are a lot of kind of hosts do they have their own unique crews or do producers and and uh, DPs and that kind of thing bump around people try them? to stick together yeah. like and that's there's a lot of benefits to that but um uh especially with the show we do for HBO it's it's hard because it's um like the scheduling can get really uh scheduling is really intensive um and the travel is uh is very very intensive and um it's a you know it's a two camera operation so you automatically have uh including the host producer cameraman and uh sound guy you've the smallest crew you've got is five people and then you have to add on top of that and um and you know and just people have like jobs and lives and stuff like that so you can't always uh you know guarantee that um you know, as much as you like working with someone, they right, can always right. be on the same projects. What would you say is the difference between um, doing a web doc for Vice and now doing the TV show? Um, in terms of crew, in terms of production days, the production value—it it, it kind of like as we've done TV, like the uh, I feel like the web work has started to mimic the like the work we do with TV, there's a big, like, there's a pretty steep learning curve in terms of, um, like, production values. Like, there's a lot of, like, kind of, like, really rudimentary um, stuff that's done for television, both uh, both in terms of, like, technical production values, but then also stuff like, um, like, the releasing situation for, like, like what, what I came up, as, like, what I've been used to in terms of getting releases for... Um, um, airing any sort of videos that you get a person, you know, you get a person's permission that you're filming with. And that's sort of like, or if you want to use a piece of music, then you have to license a piece of music. But there's um, like, and I think it varies from channel to channel, there's really restrictive rules on like filming, you know, like there's a poster in the background. Have you got the artist's permission to use that poster? Right. And stuff like that, which, um, which I think is crazy. And I think is like, <laughs> like, I don't know how like anybody would be expected to make actual documentaries under that sort of um, around anything sort of burden right but it's like it's the kind of thing that we had to learn uh, coming into television that right you know, so it's completely different that we didn't like it's not even just that like we didn't do before but we didn't realize we yeah, weren't you didn't really doing think before about it. like yeah. we didn't realize that there was there was like or, or at least I didn't I mean I might be the, the only one who's kind of dumb in this situation what are a few of those um, things that you need to consider um, that most people might not be thinking about um, in, in terms of uh, yeah in terms of shit that you can't shoot or things that you're like that you didn't have to consider before that you, now you do. It's, I mean, it's like the the, the thing that blew me away was that it, it's called a materials release, which is um, that you, for any object or um, or artwork that's visible on camera, you need uh, permission of the creator of it. So if like somebody owns a phone that's like an old Bakelite phone designed by you know, Ir What's It from like the old like. Bauhaus group or what like if, if there's you know if there's an associated like or if there's art in the background that's the most right. basic example if you've got uh, like the Indiana Jones poster up in your room and you're shooting in that room like you're supposed to have the permission of um, Harrison Ford himself him it, not just him <laughs> but like the who, whoever the Polish guy who drew all those ones are right. like the famous guy like that like um, and that just like I, I mean 
So it, be, it can become a headache for the camera operator, I'm sure. They're like, okay, Thomas, you need to stand right here. Or, well, but, but if you're doing if you're doing a walking shot or something, you're trying to keep that out of people's minds, though. Too, you don't want to like bog down like what should be like a naturalistic kind of production with like this fear that like anything that creeps into a shot that may you know just be a perfectly natural part of the shot or maybe like it's a kid's room like if you're interviewing a child of course they have a fucking like uh, pardon of course they you, have you can a, say fuck it's okay. okay okay yeah you're good. Uh, of course they have like an indiana jones poster up in their room and stuff like that and it's um it's just like the legality uh like is it's that's it can be it's if you let to, it get to your head, it can be restricted. Yeah, it's like, a lot to think somebody about. Has to, but it's, and even if you don't let it get to your head, somebody has to deal with it, you know? So it's um, that that blew me away. I think a lot of people don't realize, like, um, like I knew this part, but it's like when music's playing, like, especially if you're filming someone, and you're like, you have to turn off that music because, like, we can't record that. Yeah, we can't have Beyonce's new album in the background. Because we'll have to pay for that, and I'll be like, oh, like, that's something I don't think occurs to a lot of people, Um, just how, uh, that even, like, even just having, like, even if it's playing in the other room and there's like a recognizable bass line that's just like barely bleeding into the sound, like that kind of thing. When a man loves a woman. Yeah, that's damn it. Yeah. <laughs> that was the key moment in the story. 80, um, 80 grand right there. Yeah. The remaining Righteous Brothers. Wow. There's so much that people don't think about when they see you do a story like oh wow that looked like it was so much fun went out there for a day or two shot it oh and it is fun oh i'm sure (laughs) man you you live a fantastic life but what are some of those um walk me through from the inception of a story to when we see it on screen Um, what what, in terms of your your role in it how do you (laughs) like you know i mean you you get an idea i just show up yeah you just um Man, I don't need. To, man, I don't read the script. Script reads me. <laughs> um, well, for for Balls Deep, um, we tried to make it as a uh, kind of make the production as sort of like stripped down as possible. We try to keep the crew really small. Like I try to go with um, it's a single camera show, so we have one camera operator, one sound guy, and me. And then there's um, there'll be a field producer there. Uh, on like on 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 set Mm -hmm. um or sometimes one or two and then the subjects uh and in in setting it up like there's you know a necessary there's obviously a necessary amount of pre-production but having come up with the ideas for the type of like the type of subjects we want like whether it's you know you're looking for like a coal miner or um like a sheep rancher uh to pull an example from the last Season somebody and like you kind of go through. Take me into that example. How'd that idea come about? Sheep rancher. Yeah. Um, it was when we were doing pre-production. It was sort of towards the tail end of the Bundy standoff at the Malher uh, Wildlife Refuge. Yeah. So it's like all those ranchers who were upset over. Um, well, they had previously been upset over paying grazing fees to the federal government, and in this case, they were angry because two of their colleagues, um, whose names I always screw. Oh, the Hammonds. Dwight and somebody Hammond, um, I forget his son's name, had um, been arrested for um, this kind of like they they were arrested for setting a controlled fire, but there's it's a it's an iffy story. Um, their side is that they got kind of like railroaded by um, either the Park Service or the Forestry Service. Um, government side is that they were just being like a little mischievous around uh, during like a different controlled burn. It's it's weird, and they went to jail for uh, like a very minimal sentence which seemed fair and then somebody and I'm, I, I forget the specifics of it but somebody came down on them they that there was some sort of um, uh, anti-terror 
uh, statute that their their crime had like technically violated, and so as a result of that, they were supposed to go back to jail for like a longer period, or they weren't supposed to have been released from jail. Anyway, so that was in the news, um, uh, and I was uh, curious about it, um, and I debated. I'm always on the fence about uh, kind of like there's there's obviously a tendency, especially on like the side of like people who think of themselves as like news like um, news filmmakers or think of themselves as the news. Let's say that because we have a division of the company. It's called Vice News. Um, when an incident is happening to like run out to be like get the plane tickets run out there let's go do it um, and which uh, which some people are great at and like that's some people's MO but which always gives me pause because I'm always like well one we're there's going to be a thousand people with cameras there right now this is the moment that everybody is getting their plane ticket and going out there um, and I don't want to like one jockey for a story with somebody else because I don't enjoy that and um you end up just getting like scraps, you know, scraps on the table when you're eating with like eight other hyenas. Um, and then it's the same thing, you know, you're, you're filming the same thing as everybody else. Um, and so I've always liked, uh, we used to like, I, I always like kind of like letting a story sort of digest and then kind of figuring out what's a good way to, what, what interests me about it, what questions I have that haven't been answered by other people, what aspects of the story I don't think have been covered. And then and then going in and doing it there and that like I I don't know I always find that like the story is still alive yeah even after you know the news cycle has ended and people's lives obviously go on and they're still affected by it so getting like wow really roundabout way no that's great no I, I see where you're yeah. going with this so so with that um, so with the ranchers they were having a standoff yeah and the push around the office was to try to like kind of like get out there and see the ranchers. And I'm always on the fence about that because I'm always like, well, there's a lot of people covering it and it's a news story. So what does that conversation so sound like in the office? It, it, it's, it can, hmm. Everyone comes to work. So that, that's, that, even that's kind of up to, <laughs> like everybody's coming to, to work. Sometimes there's like, it's generally on email. Um, right, that, that's probably realistic because a lot of people are out in the fields and then they're working oh, on new like, stuff. So you're, so you're trying to organize. Or just sleeping in. Or just sleeping um, in. <laughs> Herding cats. Yeah. Um, so you come in. It can be like that. There's that conversation that says, should we go out there right now? Or you saying, you saying, well, maybe yeah. there's a new aspect to this that if we wait, something will emerge and we can cover it in a unique way. Uh, sort of. It, and it's, and we're, in truth, there's, there's m numerous conversations from numerous sides because um, we're discussing what is eventually going to be a story that I filmed for Balls Deep that at the point of origin was a subject that was being covered by you know numerous people in the office it was a major news story and i'm sort of beholden you know not just to balls deep but to um kind of like all sides of the company too like uh, you know i am still a host on the hbo show and so i'm obligated to uh do stories for that and um then you know yeah, so you're juggling there's vice.com yeah. yeah yeah i'm balancing different uh different roles and stuff so um what questions then did you ask yourself? So, so you decided to to wait a little bit. Then, what questions are you asking yourself the, to try? I think the standoff ended, like in the middle of it. But, but yeah. But anyways, decided. To, well, we found um um uh, so in terms of doing the rancher, like the initial question was, do you go out and like do the actual like go to the go to the wild refuge while it's still active and try to get with those guys? And I believe by the time we were discussing it, it had already like subsided a little bit well they'd already shot that guy and like it was closing down yeah um and uh 
But um, I was still interested in like, because I mean, obviously this wasn't the first time that ranchers or even like specifically the Bundys had been in an issue. And I was curious about that, like the mentality, the, like the politics behind it, like also just like the like the day to day like work of being a rancher and like just all things that I like I knew were super alien to my upbringing and experience. Um, and that I wasn't, didn't feel like we're being really like effectively communicated by, um, the, uh, the coverage right. of them. Like, you know, so will you write down a list of questions before you go out on a shoot that you're specifically curious about? Nope. Nah. <laughs> just, ha- just I'm had pretty, it. I'm, I'm kind of bad about, um, yeah. I, I do take a lot of notes. I do have notes. Hey, you're doing some right. <laughs> but, um, but I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not very type A as, as far as, um, I guess preparation. Yeah. For, for like interviews or um uh or but, just shooting guns. right but it seems like you you are a very curious person naturally yeah. so if you can be constantly following your curiosity yeah um and asking that next question then something good will come out yeah of it. and i feel like i i've definitely like if 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 I were to go into an interview and I've done one or two of these where like an interview subject has come up like very much on the fly like you're like oh do you want to interview like doodlebug tomorrow and like having not known like knowing that it's just an interview that I'm just going to be sitting across from somebody and that I don't maybe have like the best background I will actually you know like sit down and write questions and be able to you know like have something to refer to to do talking points but generally when I go into when I meet with a subject that I'm interested in, like part of my interest is, you know, it's either having known a lot about them beforehand or having known nothing about them. And either way, um, there's naturally, like I'm, there's naturally things to talk about right. and questions specifically. Curiosity. Yeah, that um, that help to, uh, to drive it. And then I also feel like it's, you know, I think there, you know, there's a benefit to like having a natural conversation versus having like a legal pad in your la- mouth, uh, having a legal pad in your lap that you're constantly like checking right. boxes no, off of. Yeah, it changes the dynamic of it. And it's better to like, and I love like, I don't know, the thing like, I love interviews that are kind of like one long stream. I love listening to them and I love um, participating in them because I feel like people get natural. You get, um, I don't know, you get better, like more thoughtful answers like that come out of kind of just like a natural manner of thinking um, instead of like kind of canned responses, right? You know, um, and people get comfortable, and even just like you, you pick up things from like you know the timber of uh, people's voices when they you know speak as themselves. You get a, a sense sense of people's like personality and character and stuff like that um, that you can really chop off when it's like question one, question one, okay, answer one is over. Question two, you know, um, so so I prefer to yeah. What has embedding within so many subcultures taught you about people? About people? Um, I think that people are like, it's, I mean, it's taught me that, it's taught me that like people are like pretty fundamentally nice. Like I've, I've met, I'm trying to think like, and I, like, I feel like I've probably met at least one person I would consider like malevolent or evil or like bad, like ill-intended. Yeah. Um, but I don't even know if I have. Um, I just assume, like, statistically. I'm <laughs> One of those guys had to have been right? nefarious. <laughs> um, but it's like, generally, yeah, you, you meet with, like, dodgy characters and people are engaged in stuff that you, you know, disagree with or, like, be it, like, politics or crime or something like that. And you realize that, like, like very, very rarely 
like everybody's kind of like more self-aware than you give them credit for i feel like and everybody is um you know kind of circumspect about their intentions in a way that like um you that they don't get credit for either like when you know especially like if they've ever like if they've been covered in the media where like you know the nuance of people's lives and motivating factors and stuff is just flattened into a you know bad Sound guy bite. bad yeah. guy good guy kind of di- you know sort of dichotomy then um it's like I just don't think there are like nobody I nobody I've met identifies as the bad guy and very few people kind of like actually are the bad guy people are people are kind of all right and their intentions are kind of better than we assume also people are sort of like um shit we were talking about this like kind of at the breakfast table um about uh about how like nobody's older like actually older than 13 right like everybody's figuring out what they're doing like nobody actually like there's an extent to which n- almost everybody has no clue what they're like fully what they're doing <laughs> yeah. or it's like people are <laughs> some people just wear nicer clothes people are a little like yeah and it's it's not that like people are stupid but it's like it's like experts are just people who somebody called an expert you know right you, you realize that like they're like everybody's like you know I don't know. You realize that there's no, you know, there's no grown-ups in the world that like everybody is just kind of figuring it out as they're going along. Yeah. And um, like even people who, and which isn't to say that people don't have like, you know, really um, uh, tremendous uh, breadth of knowledge and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, but it is. Yeah. Everybody's figuring it out. Everybody's like, everybody's like a permanent teenager. Nobody's, nobody's truly evil. Everybody's kind of like nice. Yeah. Humor. Humor, etc. Yeah, those, those are the basic things, and that's that's a really wishy-washy thing to learn. No, no, I I I, I agree with you though, and I do think that most people who come off as bad people are usually acting out of fear. Yeah, right behind that kind of anger, there is tends to be insecurity, there fear. Is, yeah. um, I think boredom is um, is underplayed as like a, a prime motivating factor in in many, 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 many people's lives. How so? Like, I think if you look at um. Like, let's take, I mean, probably bad to cite an example that I don't have actual, like, specific field work with. But if you take, like, the Klan and stuff like that and you look at the places those people are from, uh, generally, whether it's in, you know, the Deep South or the Pacific Northwest or Pennsylvania, it's uh, it's usually small towns, um, low employment opportunities, which is, you know, exactly, and it's the people who have missed those, you know, slender employment opportunities who... Um, who are often picked up by them, and it's there's there's an element of fear involved, but there's also like I think what doesn't get the credit it deserves is these people leave very boring lives, um, and there's there's definitely a fear I think associated with that, in that like you see you know the rest of your life projected out as this just continuing gray sort of circle of what you're what you're doing at the right. present, which is nothing. Yeah, um, and I think that you know that's what you know that's why. Idle hands do the devil's work. Exactly, and it's why religions give comfort to people of this nature. Um, ideologies do, like joining, uh, joining, and you know, there's and it's it's not always, it's certainly not always a bad thing. Like right. you know, like um, churchgoers aren't you know horrible, but like there's boys specifically who have like that kind of like built-in you know testosterone. Like if you look around the world at places with like large populations of young men and with limited job prospects. Um, That's where a lot of the violence is happening, a lot of the crime, yeah. and where you get a lot of these quote-unquote quote bad people from. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting because it's like everybody, you know, 
everybody's so quick to be like, uh, you know, you know, who's causing crime? Is it like, is it black people in America? Is it Muslims causing crime? And like, everybody kind of misses the fact that like, crime and terror are carried out by males between the age of like, 16 and 30 right like universally right like one like 98 percent of crime and terror are 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 carried out by this one single oh demographic. my god i'm i'm and so nobody... convinced that the closest i've ever come to death were at high school parties oh, for sure. yeah <laughs> for sure and what's what's the scariest like i don't know like on a, like a city street the scariest thing to run into is like a group of like fucking 13 year olds right i think yeah. like I've been, city of god shit yeah like i've been robbed like once or just a few times and the the only times like that it was like it was like it was like fuck this could go really wrong it right like, it was literally like 13 year olds because like they, there's no it's the um there's no sense it's, well it's the rattle order. it's the baby rattlesnake that doesn't know how much venom yeah, to let exactly. out. there you go that's a perfect example yeah oh man but, and i think and i think the what, what i think back to being a you know 20 year old boy versus like 33 year old boy uh right now and it's what are you driven by and it's like kind of like boredom and horniness like um and if you have um if you have an outlet for each of those things, or at least like are working on something, you know, right. or, or working on having a job or having some sort of creative project that yeah. you have. And some sort of discipline. Yeah. Kind of, like, and what you're talking about, like goal setting, right? Yeah. Like having a specific goal that you're going after, whether that's a physical one or an intellectual one, probably being from the ages of, of you know, 16 to 24, like you have so much energy, right? Yeah. And setting those specific goals... I think it's so important and we don't set that up for society and I think that we undervalue that hugely. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, that's so You're funny. Just like man. a like a rocket just it's like just the boosters roaring. <laughs> right. If you don't if you don't point it towards like yeah, the nebula of the space station in the middle like it's just going to go like it's still going to go. Right. Um, so it's just like yeah, there's all that pent up all that hormone. I, I think that um one thing that you wrong. said that um that brought something up for me too is a lot of times when we're talking about quote unquote bad people, we tend to dehumanize them sure. with a label, right? Where, where like rather bad people, bad people <laughs> yeah. or yeah, or the homeless, yeah. right? Rather than homeless people without homes or you know people over here, right? And and that goes back to us. It simplifies the world for us, right? Sure. It simplifies it and it makes it easier for us to. Um, to not have empathy with other people. And one of the things that I, I really appreciate about what you do is I think that you are very good at empathizing with people and, and promoting empathy, whether you're going to a, a high school prom in a, a low income neighborhood, or you're going to an elderly folks home, or you're going to uh what, the, what was it? The bears, the bears, the in uh, Provincetown in Provincetown. Bear week. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it um it does a lot to show that people are just people and they're all figuring it out you know well thank you yeah, no, yeah. that's um i'm i'm glad that that kind of comes through um you you also are like i can tell that you're so much more interested in talking about interesting things than you are in talking about yourself um i i don't i, don't, I certainly don't mind talking about myself um but yeah yeah I, I, only insofar as I can be an interesting thing, right? Um, uh, it was. Um, I, I think you're right about like yeah the kind of like recursion to to labels, um, leaning on that and like and like we were saying yeah it's media always kind of like flattens 
uh, people's stories uh, to fit it into, you know, fit it into the frame framework that they've got, like, you know, the 20 minutes you have to make a show. And I have to do that, too. You know, I, I remove tons of elements of people's lives that we shoot and we go and shoot for, you know, four and five days with folks. And there's, you know, you only have 23 minutes. And there's a certain available, right? Yeah. And there's a certain amount of trust that they're putting in you too. Oh Christ, yeah. I don't know how anybody says yes to being filmed. Like it's, and it's like, and a lot of the people, you, I guess you'd assume that it, it's, um, like fame whores. Yeah, you know, like it's like people who are kind of looking, looking to make their, uh, you know, this is the shot. Like TV finally called us <laughs> to yeah. be on it. Like, look who made it. Yeah, like it's finally like about time. <laughs> you know, um, that weird sense of expectation that you find in a lot of people that they will just at some point be famous, uh, for whatever fucking reason. <laughs> um, Usually, it's no reason at all. Exactly. Um, but uh, but people are. It's yeah. It's so you say you get, get the, like more like it's it's it, it just always blows my mind you, like you get way more yeses than you get noes when you ask people and i think you know there's you can there's a good way to go about it which is you know to be polite and not be some sort of weird fucking tv asshole yeah we're gonna make you into a star yeah that kind of oh god that kind of talk <laughs> you um, were, which, which exists you like, were born for television which like you meet people who actually fucking talk that way like and it, it just raises the hair on the back of your neck like there's you know you hire a lot of people who come from the you know uh conventional television world from the establishment or whatever and people who've worked in reality tv and stuff and a lot of and like most of those people are really good people too like uh who just you know had to had to do what they had to do to like to, to make some money and didn't necessarily like the projects they were working on. But sometimes you find people who were like really, like really adept at reality television and really liked it. And it's like <laughs> that might be the closest I've met to like a truly evil person. Like people who, uh, yeah, who, you know, ugh, participated in that. Uh, right. Well, it's, it's appealing to people's egos, right, rather than appealing to their humanity. That's true. Yeah. You know, it, it's like you could, you could be this thing rather than just be like, oh yeah, you're cool. Let's set low expectations and let's try and get a story across that's yeah. that's honest. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird world to navigate. What's that been like for you? Because you, um, I loved what you just said about how, <laughs> you're okay with the focus being on you if you have something interesting to say. Yeah. Um, but what's been what's that process been like for you navigating it as you have become more and more successful? Um. It's 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 been tricky. I think um, it's so many the um, how to say this. It has been tricky. Like the uh, um, for every kind of like stage development, I guess we've gone through. It's like there's a lot of you know you basically have to throw out everything. You would no, you don't have to throw out everything. Sorry, I'm trying to think how to exactly to put this. Um, because it's uh, yeah, it's it's been tricky. Um. I think uh, I feel fortunate in that like the way we've sort of grown and kind of from starting to make videos on our own to having like like our own like video platform to making a show for a network a major TV network to making our own TV network there's um, like I've been so ca I guess I've been so caught up in learning each like stage of it like going from learning how to be like i don't know learning the very basics of like how to be like on camera and how to film things to learning how to put it together into something nice to learning how to put it together under like actual restrictions of like length and like production values and like to meet people's like 
external people's expectations versus just like making a documentary that you like and being able to put it up at whatever length you want online to then being the external people sort of in making the show it's yeah there's I guess there's always been so much to learn and do that you focus on that rather than getting caught up in the su- success of it oh so for sure that, yeah you say that that's it you yeah. just, you're just able to focus on your process more and more and that helps keep you sane I, I just don't even there's not even time to choose to focus on any of those things right everything happens uh really quickly um yeah it's it, it's tricky it's it, it is hard to navigate it's, i don't know there's just like, there's a new system to learn every every year and then there's like yeah 80 new people to learn like the names of and faces yeah yeah every month F- figure like, them out it's just, yeah. you're always yeah you're always playing catch up with yourself i feel like um yeah and i think that's kind of the nature of like we finally hit the point of television where we're actually like making television which is like a weird 24-hour medium um and there's like the hbo show is on an a on a uh, nightly basis now and the television network obviously needs programming 24 hours a day and um yeah so there's no there's no lag time and like f- the failure constantly you know, learning i'm sure just boom 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 yeah. every single day solving a new problem figuring it out and then moving on to the next one before the last one's done yeah and just yeah and just like adding people into the mix um yeah i don't know it's like it, it, it is tricky i feel like i'm just like barely keeping up yeah um what um what have been your favorite kind of crews to work with? What do you think is is the perfect formula for you? Um, I mean, I tried to make my favorite crew uh, with Balls Deep. Um, uh, the sh- uh, the DP or shooter uh, Matthew Nauser, who lives out here. Um, I've worked with since two thousand six, I think, is when we started. And we used to, before Balls, like, back then, Balls, we were still making Balls Deep. It was, uh, you know, it was for uh, VBS, was what it was called at the time. It was, like, an online thing. Yeah. So we shot a lot of episodes together. He was the, uh, he was really the first um, camera guy that I worked with. Do you have a good relationship? And we do, yeah. yeah, We have a really good relationship. Um, We've worked together forever and kind of have, I think, a good, um a good sort of rhythm yeah and like kind of understand what each other are interested in like when each other you know like we we, we were working when to push when to pull exactly, when to yeah. <laughs> when to shut the fuck up we were with the person we alone that together kind of thing. in the field yeah and we've just been forever and i also like like he's he's like a, he's got an amazing aesthetic sense that's um very particular to him that i love and that um that what is know, that uh, how would you describe it shit i don't know like that's that's <laughs> it's hard to describe it's very it's very it's a very matthew nauser kind of sense of looking at things i haven't i haven't tried to man i've never tried to really distill it into its uh composite parts there's you know you know it when you see it yeah there's, there's i think i think the vice is um the uh kind of the common um if uh if someone were to attribute a visual aesthetic device, I think it would be kind of like a very frenetic, like kind of post MTV kind of quick cut right. fancy thing. And I think um, uh, Nowser's eye is a little, um, he, he likes to focus on things a little more static, a little slow, more slowly. And I like that. I think it helps like it, it's, you know, it's an integral part of the show's pacing and sense of slowness. And right. I think that's one of the, um, 
the compliments I've loved hearing from people is that the slow the show feels slow without feeling like like I don't know it's like a boring slow show that there's something slow about it and um, you leave you leave something. one thing that I've noticed is you leave shots room to breathe yeah you'll leave time for the full exhale and the feeling to be there in the air rather than do rather than the kind of uh, YouTube sense of like cut here cut here yeah. no pauses for ums and uhs and anything real or authentic yeah which I, I appreciate because I do think that those those pauses are what allows the audience to feel empathy with people you have to process things right? yeah you have to digest things it's, before the next like load comes in your mouth uh, <laughs> you have to chew your fries yeah <laughs> before you know? the next load comes in the mouth that's true yeah um one of the best uh, pieces of advice I ever got w- from about speaking was that it's not about what you say, but it's the moments in between when you say w- what you say. Okay. So it's you know it's that that space between. It's a very jazz like uh, approach to right. thinking about speaking. Right. <laughs> I I, re- I remember reading an article too about um, how cell phones are fucking with our relationships because uh-huh. whenever we have an awkward moment with our partner in a relationship now. Um, or a moment where we could then get into another level of depth in the conversation. We just pick up our phones, right? right? And it kind of stops the conversation at these very topical, topical places where when we get to that, those deeper, juicier elements of the conversation, it usually takes a pause in between to get there. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I think, I wonder if that's, um, there's a, uh, a musician turned writer named Ian Svenonius from, do you know the band, The Makeup? I do not. The Nation of Ulysses from DC. Okay. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's an amazing like, essayist, but he uh, at some point drew a comparison between um, like people's use of their like reliance and like habitual use of the cell phones and the way people used to smoke like back in the fifties. Huh. That like in the same way, like you'll you'll like step outside a restaurant and like you know like play with your phone and like look for things, right? And stuff like that is kind of like the exact same. Like you know, fifty years ago, the moment would be like you step out of the restaurant, light a cigarette, right, right, you know, like, look around, take a take a breath, maybe maybe talk to somebody, like with a cigarette, or whatever, so like that. And I feel like that was like it, it called to mind when you're like you know at that moment, that crucial moment in like a fight with like yeah you know your loved one or whatever when you you are about to like make some sort of like weird breakthrough and you pull out your phone instead. But it's like I wonder like that's like, oh, definitely t- that's definitely the moment somebody would reach and have a cigarette, but right? Like, the, Ooh, Tinder forties, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, you're a big reader, huh? I, I I like to read. Yeah. I read I, I guess I I read really slowly is like my deep shame. Um and I start a lot of books that I don't finish, but I do like to read them. Yeah. I like I, I, I like buying books too. That's that's always I fun. know, we were walking over here like, ooh, used books. I like the it. library, yeah. I don't need to like I really don't need to go back there and like buy a bunch of stupid fucking textbooks. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I'm just gonna crowd my room and I'm never gonna look at but I'm gonna do it. Like right. that's what's gonna happen. Like um, unless I get, unless I'm mistakenly distracted by something, right? They're like it will happen, right? There is uh, there is something to be said about people who spend some time at least reading, and their ability to think more deeply about things, and sure. and an ability to organize thoughts yeah. in a way, in a certain way. I I do, I think that you have that ability um, to not I just. So. I mean, so. I'll, I'll continue stroking here you go and through this but <laughs> but uh you know at at the end of a lot of the pieces that you do 
Mm-hmm. You'll give very complex breakdowns of the past few days and what happened. And it comes off at least as something that you're doing on the fly. And oh, you know, I write that shit down. You write it all down. <laughs> and we, t- yeah, those take like like eight or nine tries. <laughs> Do tell. Yeah, get, bring me into that situation, how okay. that works. I, I, like, I love hearing that it, it seems like on the fly. <laughs> you, f- you liar. Yeah, because I'll like, I'll like, I'll, I'll, I'll quote books and stuff like that. <laughs> It, which I can't do. Um, I can't do off the top of my head. Um, oh God, that's funny. And, and sometimes, and sometimes it is. Like I do actually. Like like. Uh, usually, usually I'll, I'll write right. that out. Like, and, and, and you know, it's not like I'll like write it for like a. Well, sometimes it will take a long time with it too. I'll plan it right. Well, I, well, a lot of people stuff. will. You know, they'll do the story. They will have the help of. Um, a producer through it, standing over their shoulder with every question in the interview. It's mm-hmm. it's very much they have that kind of support and safety net with whatever it is that they do. And the thing that I like about certain hosts, um, for example, like Bourdain, right? Okay. He's he's really good at articulating a complex idea. Um, in an authentic way, and it's not just that that little one sentence ending of like, well, like. We came, we saw, and that's the way the cookie crumbled. You know, right? It's like it is a more complex breakdown of your experience, and and Forget the, and it, the big kid. and the it's big Russia, <laughs> right? And the big uh, ten thousand foot view. Yeah, looking at so bring me into to that situation, right? So you've been filming for a few days. Um, let's use the rancher example. Been filming for out there. You've been meeting people. Um, you've kind of been gaining insight into what you think the sum up of the story is how will you um then break it all down at the end um behind the scenes what are we not seeing uh mostly just like me sitting around with a like stupid moleskin like on my knee like trying to whittle down like really really diarrhea kind of thoughts into uh like a cogent like 30 seconds maybe um what does that look like, actually? On, on, on paper? On paper, yeah. Is it, no, I don't have a notebook on me. Um, yeah, just like chicken scratch. I have bad handwriting, you know? Right. It just looks like a bunch of pages that no one could read. Right. That, sometimes I can't either, right. which is really bad. Um, but it's it, it it kind of accumulates throughout the uh, um, throughout the filming. And for ranch, ranches, for example, we... Um, that, we we filmed that over a long period of time because you actually see like you see the birth of um, birth of lambs, um, and then kind of up to the stage at which they are ducked or have their the the boys are castrated the um, excuse me the females are kind of separated and have their ears snipped um, so that they can then be uh, taken off to summer pasture to be right. fed and stuff like that so that's a we started filming. Um, I can't remember the exact months, but it was about there's about six weeks that we covered filming, and we went back. We did it in three trips, and we filmed for about two to three or three to four days each, okay. know, which is a like it's a long time eternity for us. I mean, I yeah. think it's very like I would love to make films that way, and I think that's how documentary was done, kind of like like and should be done. Um, but was done you know up until the present uh, over long periods of time. You stay with people, stay with the subject, and you know pick out your moments and stuff like that versus like trying to cram it all into like one weekend. Um, so you're out there. You've done a few different trips. You've been so, ta- yeah. you've been taking notes. Uh, I've been taking notes the throughout. whole time. I've been reading like you know reading things about ranching, and it's I mean and that's luxurious as hell having like time both time 
in the field with the subject to like really kind of like you know let your thoughts sit and kind of simmer and and time back home to like look stuff up and like get books that like you know help explain you know you know what's going on with like the you know grazing rights and stuff like that like basic info or like and i always like to kind of like i find a lot to be said for fiction around a given subject that i used to i don't know i used to be of the opinion which i think is a very like male opinion that's um you know fiction is kind of just like you know it's 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 generally escapist it's like you know it's what do you mean by that? It's taking it's taking a break. Fiction isn't like versus nonfiction. If you're gonna read something, why don't you read something nonfiction? Why don't you read? Why don't you learn about something? Read something about something, and um, like an actual like learn facts versus like some fantasy world, right? Like, uh, you know, um, and I and especially when you're traveling to somewhere like that was always kind of my mindset too. That like you know, oh, you're gonna go to Croatia. You should pick up a book that explains the history of Croatia and. What, what, right. What happens in you know like what are the factual bases of Croatia, and I found at some point and um, I don't remember who put me onto it or I started I started doing less of that and relying more if I'm going to buy a book about a place that I'm going or a subject that I'm um, trying to learn about uh, if there is an option to buy a novel. Um, or short stories or whatever, something yeah. fictional about it. I'll like I'll leave the factual information to like whatever Wikipedia, you know. Like there's yeah. a lot of really easy ways to get that in there and try to find something that's an actual novelist, you know. Um, so hmm. for instance, with the ranchers, um, there's a great cowboy writer named uh, or Western writer named Edward Abbey, um, who uh, who doesn't get read. He's, I feel I find he's I feel like he's of the same schools, like maybe like Cormac McCarthy is a little earlier, a little more curmudgeonly, if you can believe that. And um, uh, is, do you remember in Royal Tenenbaums, Owen Wilson's character? Yeah. The writer, Eli Cash, right. I think was his name. Yeah, yeah. Like, I am 99% sure that that's supposed to be an Edward Abbey um, parody when he's reading, like, and they wrote, wrote off until the frisculating dusk <laughs> dusklight. Um, that's exactly the language he uses. Right. So you read that book uh, when it you were was, prepping for the rancher story. Yeah. I'm trying to remember which of his novels I read. It was the one, it was the one where the guy is getting kicked off his property by the Air Force mm. and he fights back. I'll be damned if I can't remember his name right now. I feel really bad. It'll come to you. It'll come to me. Um, anyway, but like I find that, yeah, you get um, that there's, uh, you get something out of like fictional treatments of things that, that gives you a greater sense um, like of what, you know, what kind of glues together the facts, like what's, what's, you know, what's their past, like the basic, like the dates and, you know, the names of like the presidents and stuff like that. You get a sense of like, of, it puts character it, and flavor, right? And it puts it more like into context of yeah. why why these people act the way they do. Even if you're reading a novel about something yeah. that was happening a hundred years beforehand, there are ways that you can um, kind of pick out of that. And that's man, that's such a um, well, you can, and it gives you it 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 fosters a sense of like emotion right. with you. And like at its best, like you can you know you feel like transported to a place, and you can kind of connect with not just you know. Um, the the things that are being thought but like that style of thinking you know right i think there's nothing more exciting for me than like like really you know kind of like like inhabiting someone else's kind of like mental process especially if it's like different than my own right like see things from like another person's point of view like not just like like oh on paper like oh taking their argument etc but like to actually feel that way like i read interesting um it is very interesting and it's a it's a fascinating point that i had never um 
I'm happy that you articulated it, but it, it brought up an um, example in my life. I was down in, in Chile um, this last year, um, and I was doing a story on an indigenous conflict happening down in southern Chile uh-huh. with, with this group called the Mapuche. And, was uh, that the coal plant? No, no, that was a different one. Okay. It's a different one. There's um, there's an indigenous conflict happening down between loggers and and um, this this tribe down there. They they're actually huge. They make up about nine percent of Chile's population. Wow. Okay. But um, there have been anti-terrorist laws that have been implemented um, towards them to stifle their protests because a couple hundred years ago Chile took. Um, a lot of their land and then started leasing it out to forestry companies, which is Chile's second largest export, um, as well as European um, settlers who came over. And only now the um, the Mapuche are demanding their, their land back. And when I was down there, I was reading a book called My Invented Country by a woman named Isabel Allende. Yeah. And uh, you know, have you ever heard of her? Yes, I have. So, and I never read it. But it's, yeah. it's such a good book in the sense that it gives you that feeling of, of frustration from the Pinochet era um, and the, the smells and the feelings. Yeah. And then when I was driving down there, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I never could have gotten this off the Wikipedia page. Right. And there's only so much so much information a person can take in in a a five or ten minute story so the rest of it is your job is getting the viewer to empathize with them and a lot of times fiction can do that yeah yeah that's a um that's a really that's a really interesting thing man like that um what was i just just thinking of you you just said something um well, we were talking about like I guess we were talking about like the endings and like um, how those because I feel like I, I I feel like I didn't finish something that I like owe you. Um, <laughs> you asked the question that I, I kind of almost responded to and then got on. I, I, I think that it's I think it's interesting um, to get into um, people's process. Yeah. Right. And and people's like really bringing it into that in the room experience um, because people just don't don't see it when they they see on on tv right that's true yeah um but uh yeah so, so for it's interesting that we brought up ranchers because there was just so much like that was such a such a long production and like i had so much time to get to get to the ending of that to figure stuff out and to have like to be able to like write something like that kind of like uh you know um sort of accomplishes uh or that, like that, that that I I feel like gives uh kind of proper proper treatment to the to to the story, and sure. Kind of depicted in there and has like a nice quote in the middle of it and stuff like that, and makes sense. And but you know, more often than not, the way we shoot is like over four to five days, just like, um, in one you know one go, with people, and uh, and by the end of that, you know, I kind of like hope that you know I've got something working in that in that kind of way and and usually like you know just the the knowledge that at some point we are gonna have to end this and i'm gonna have to like digest what what i've picked up and learned yeah and put into that i feel like a lot of if you look at a lot of times when i'm speaking just kind of like straight to the camera in the middle of episodes it's like those are like those those will either serve to like just like ex- describe exactly what's going on, right? To kind of uh, hopefully be like a little bridge or something. But often those will be the kind. Of, I'll have like little. I'll be testing out thoughts in that, in those moments that are you know that are kind of like trying to work out the conclusion, right? On the ground and elements of that. Um, and so uh, and so I'll, um, 
And so necessarily so, I'll, yeah, so I'll write so you're stuff working down. it out, yeah, and then... But then I'll also <clears> do stuff, like, on camera. That's always, right. like, dress rehearsals for that throughout it. And it's always... It's kind of like... I mean, that's that's sort of the point of being there is to, like, figure out whatever there is. Like, on, on my... On my um, on my end, that's right. the point. That's the point of me being there, right. is to figure out like whatever it is I'm saying at the very end of it. Right. Both on a very like um, practical scale, like I have to like I have to deliver that speech at the end, and therefore I need to know it. Right, right, right. But right. also on an abstract sense, like that's like the reason I'm there is to like learn whatever it is I'm communicating back. Like that's the whole point of having me in front of the camera. Yeah. On the show. Uh, so, so that's, yeah, that's sort of the, the process of that. It's, yeah. I'm um, constantly you're, taking little notes right, on camera and right, constantly trying to like practice notes on camera. Yeah. It's like you're getting a little micro degree in a new subject yeah. and then the ending is your class presentation yeah. at the end. And there's, um, there's, and, and it's funny because it was like when you do those like on the ground standups, there's, we call them stand-ups. Um, there's stand-ups and there's like voiceover, which is obviously you record that in a booth. Yeah. And put it over there. Um, and there's there's such a there's, a... there's a really like major distinction between those that I don't think anybody who hasn't worked in some sort of field that involves it would really uh, would ever give thought to. Right. But there's like um, the 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 premium is on things on the ground is on yeah. standing there. Like there's my goal has always been to make a voiceoverless like either segment for HBO or, or episode. Um, Have you done that? Uh, I, I I've I've come close. <laughs> I feel like. Um, and this is what I'm and I'm about to tell you exactly my trick to to fixing it because. When you do one, when you do everything there in the field, you can just hand it to an editor, and like, if they've got all the parts together, they can make it. And it's, there's something, you know, one, there's something nice about that. It's like having, you know, all the wood for the shelf without having to go buy something. Yeah. In the middle of it. Um, two, like, when you say something in the field, like, and it's like, even if some, there's some, like, if it's like 98 percent good like if there's something if you like accidentally swear or something like that and um but you're saying it in front of the camera and there's like you know goat going crazy behind you and it's like an interesting scene like no one's ever gonna say like oh well we have to do that again right because you said fuck in the middle of that word like you'll work around it to make it work whereas if you do a voiceover anything can be changed it'd be like eh, i didn't like you know i don't like you referring to them as you know like territorial maybe we'll go back and change that everybody's notes come out when it's voiceover because you can just do it again and again and again and right. again and again. And so you kind of get away, you get away with things in a stand-up that you don't over voiceover. Um, you get less, yeah. And there's an element of authenticity and even if yeah. it is, um, because it's less scripted, it's more raw and that's yeah. what that's what people like about you, right? That's what be, that's Maybe. the re- well, that's the reason you're yeah. out there, right? The point, the, rather than you just going and getting a bunch, having someone go out and get a bunch of B-roll and you doing a complete VO yeah. is because people want to see you in a situation. They do. They want to see me get like kicked by the donkey. Yeah. Right. Um, or fall in the, fall in the horse crap. Right. Um, but, uh, or do the damn. So what's your what, so what's the, the trick? What? But so the trick is um, so yeah so voiceovers and I, I've I've like especially since making video I've watched TV and like every time like there's obviously shows that are just like only voiceover and that's, yeah. this isn't the case with them but like there's shows that are similar like to the show like I try to make 
where people will do stuff and talk to the camera on the field, but then you'll hear voiceovers that'll explain basic things. Like it's like later that day we went to, you know, we went to a witch doctor's hut and it'll be like, ha, I was like, you didn't say that in the field. Like, right. You fucked up. Yeah. Like that's example, like voiceover is an example of, sorry, no problem. in many cases of like, like you didn't get that right. in the field. And like, um, and generally conclusions are written like, I mean, sometimes you do the thing, like you have enough time out there and you have a day at the end of it and you can go stand in some front of something pretty and say like, and so here's what I learned. Here's the thing, da, 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 da. And sometimes you say that thing and it sucks or sometimes you don't even have time to say the thing. You right. come back and very often, and you see this a lot on television, the, vo- the conclusion will be like this like little paragraph you read over voiceover and be like, yeah. and so that's why, you know, yeah. That's yeah, why witch doctors people. are crazy. You know, yeah, exactly. but, but it's but it's not just that. It's a it's usually a paragraph that sums up yeah. the whole thing. So yeah. it does take uh, an element of of awareness and thinking on the fly to sum it all up and then spit yeah. it out right there. But I find that like the voiceover, aside from simply being like, "Eh, you didn't get that," like you know, you're like, "This is you putting a bandaid on something you messed up." It's like I, if like unless you're amazing at it and like. I have some colleagues who are amazing. Like Hamilton Morris um, writes voiceover. That's like perfect. Like that, and that that seems like it isn't just like an afterthought. Like fixing right. something they didn't do on the ground. That seems like it was intended from the very start and is built into right. scenes. I think it's a good tone of voice and it's really funny. Um, but more often than not, like especially with my own voiceover, I feel like it like takes like it really you know if you're living in a like living in a scene, it takes you like right out of it immediately. Nothing, yeah. Nothing is more distracting, like for a viewer, than like the voice of God coming in and just like saying something. Right, especially if it's a, something as simple as later that day. Yeah, we went to. It's so much more where you can. It's so much cooler to be walking with the camera and be like, so right now we're going over to this witch exactly, doctor's yeah, house. Yeah. It's 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 more natural. It's yeah. Um, what does Hamilton do so well that uh, to make VO work? Writes. He writes really well. He's a good writer. Huh? <laughs> um, he and I think he plans it out while he's there. Right. Um. Uh, he also has like he's got a great voice like both like a writing voice like style but also like his actual like right it's very like, his larynx it's, makes yeah cool sounds. yeah because <laughs> he, he like kind of like yeah I shouldn't do it, a Hamilton impression he talks uh, he has that like low Egon yeah. sort of voice yeah it's wonderful we um, ate a weed brownie and then entered the chamber there you go um like yeah and he can like make like really basic sentences like he really he really hits them yeah um really well you can well. play to certain people's strengths too. Right, because he does have that that strength that make uh, of making it feel like you're on a trip with him. Yeah, right. Whereas um, you look at a lot of uh, Anthony Bourdain's VO, and it's describing the sexy cheese as it melts in your mouth, and it it, it doesn't really take away because he's describing it so well. And yeah, you can tell that it's it's beautiful writing, almost um, to the point of fiction. Right, right. You know, where it, it feels like you're you're listening to fiction. Yeah. So that could be cool. You have covered. Oh wait, wait. The yeah. trick. So the, the trick. trick. Yeah. So the trick I figured <laughs> out, which I call voice underage. Oh uh, yeah, we gotta get to the trick. Is um, I'll take uh, like say say I started a conclusion but either ended it on like a completely wrong note that I don't like or just didn't even finish it. Um, and I'm standing in front of like the boat and the boat's sailing away and I'm like, well, that's the whole deal with boats and boat captains are weird guys, but I guess you have to be a weird guy if you're a boat captain and da da da. Um, and I didn't finish that. Um, instead of coming back, scrapping that whole thing, putting in a big like chunk of ugly like voiceover, I'll take, uh, just the same microphone I'm wearing out in front of the boat as it goes away, go to somewhere that kind of like acoustically resembles where I was 
and then just finish the thought into exactly what we're recording into right now, a Zoom, a Zoom with a lav, and then stitch it together so that it sounds like I finished the thought right. completely. And there will the be, and there could be B-roll of a the sailboat yep. going by. Because so you're you never going to just like be looking at my face the whole time. Like so, it just looks like, yeah. Oh, so you, you sneaky dog. Yeah. Wow. I'm gonna have to put that one in my back pocket. It's fun. Yeah. Well done. You have covered a wide variety of issues from sailing out to the Northwest, uh, North Pacific Gyre, uh-huh. to going to Ghana to look at for uh, internet scams, and it was the the Sakawa, the Sakawa, yeah, the Sakawa, Sakawa. Um, and everything in between. Have you found, after all these years, that you have a proclivity towards certain types of issues over others? Um, no, it kind of it it it, it very. My interest kind of drifts, I would say, and um, different things kind of catch my attention. Um, maybe I do. I I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I haven't analyzed it to the point where I. I know if there is. Right. Um, I'm trying to think if there is. I guess, I don't know. We always talk about like, and this is maybe more like office chatter from Vice than it is like an actual thing that makes sense to people in in the wider industry or even outside it. I always talk about like cultural stories versus like hard news. Like right. It's a real, you know, that's a distinction we make between like, and that is very much between, you know, running out and chasing the story when it first happens and being there. Amid the scrum of uh, other camera people, so, so you like reporters. You say you like cultural stories more. Yeah, that like, and and I feel like everything. You know, that's not to say like I don't like things that have you know that don't tie into like political like conflicts or like larger stories. Because I feel like everything. You know, there are points of connection between most aspects of you know like cultures. Um. And politics, and, poli- and, and yeah, you, you did the you did the story yeah. um, with Michelle Obama on uh, yeah on homeless vets and yeah. providing housing for them, which is very much of the day. But you did it in your style, where it didn't feel like it was a rushed. Hi, I'm on the scene right now, or Michelle is going to be doing something. Right, right. Yeah. You know, so you so you'd say that you have a pro- uh, proclivity towards not wait, not or towards waiting. Sure, yeah. No um, matter what the subject is, yeah. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't do well with, yeah, the like on the, like on the spot, like two minutes of your time, sir, kind of like right rushed, uh, man on the street type thing or that, yeah, no, not neither of those things. I like to, yeah, I guess, yeah, the the, um, I guess it's it, so it's not. I guess it doesn't really refl- reflect the issues that I like to cover, but it's like the 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 subjects I like to cover generally, yeah, more more cultural subjects than they mm. are like sp- like specifically like political subjects it's more about people's like kind of like ongoing lives and identities right. and things like that than it is about specific things that are happening in that moment and um i think there's a benefit of that in that it's like you know that gives often will give kind of a story or you know a video um kind of a greater lifespan than something right. that's uh you know very tied to a momentary you know Flash in the pan, political conflict or a social thing that yeah happens and then kind of goes away or is replaced by something else. Right. A lot of these, you know, a lot of the groups I'm with are not, you know, are 
like that they're I not hang changing. out with in Balls Deep. They aren't gonna right. yeah. They might go away. Like I think and there was it was interesting doing work that had a political bent in the last season I did, like when uh we spent uh spent almost a month actually going back and forth with this um guy who was like Trump's top volunteer in southern Ohio who was working to try to set up a campaign office in West Virginia and then he went to the uh Republican National Convention. And like and so obviously his life will be different. And then there was um I don't know, that was in like the election was kinda like uh very present in a few of the pieces I was doing because they're um like for instance like uh like you mentioned, we, we, we shot a thing with uh, the First Lady, Michelle Obama, um, and her program uh, to kind of combat veteran homelessness. It's part of a whole um, suite of programs to help veterans, um, which may... And, and my, my point of interest in that was, uh, or was seeing how the First Lady's office worked hmm. and seeing how um, I was kind of like... I was really taken aback on first meeting with them by how like young and enthusiastic all her staff members were, hmm. how knowledgeable everybody was, and it just didn't like I I've always associated Washington politics with like you know jaded old yeah. jackoffs from like Georgetown, <laughs> the Illuminati, know? some Bilderberg group. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like, the Illuminati would be cool. It's like yeah. I'm, I'm afraid it's just these losers. Yeah, you know. Um, and uh, and, they, and they Hollywood were, for ugly people. <laughs> oh my God, Christ, yeah, exactly. Um, and out of shape, um, but but everybody was like in shape and like like fairly attractive, like really attractive. But they were also like more importantly, like they were super like they were really idealistic and they were super jazzed about stuff. And they got me jazzed about it. Like it was really cool, and I was really interested in how um, her office worked and like you know from the nuts and bolts of like you right. know, who, who who gets paid, which is really weird with the first lady because it's not like an actual. Like it's obviously not in the constitution. Like it's it's like a really ad hoc office. Um, to to the feel of it, like you know, right. like, what, what are those people like? What are those people like? I want to uh, what are their profile day, them. What are their day to days like? And they were what? particularly alluring because none of them wanted to be on camera, which is like not strange, and I don't blame them at all. But like, but I was kind of like, well, this is the last chance to kind of like they're like we're kind of like the behind the scenes crew for this whole operation. I was right. like, well, yeah, well, this is the last chance to see behind the scenes and a lot of people like to see the behind the scenes and I think it would you know I think you guys deserve credit for that but so there's something that's like completely gone now right like it's which is really weird to think of because most of the things I do with it's like you know cowboys and ranchers or like gay people it's like it's like these are things that will <laughs> always exist um and that may you know undergo slow evolutionary right. changes but like not as hard a stop as like you know like one Ralph, ad, one Ralph administration the, to the next administration. Exactly. Ralph the Ralph the Trump volunteer is now in a completely, you know, different world than he was like, you know, uh seven months ago when he's right. you know worried for the future of America and like trying to like get out and like get out the vote and stuff like that. And the people in uh Michelle Obama's office are doing something else. You know, it's it's like that office is completely gone now. Yeah. Um and it's uh it's they're, that, o- they're that occupying the homeless. That part's sort of interesting. <laughs> the homeless offices. So now. I guess, yeah. I guess. So, it, what it, was, so was that a conversation that you had with them that they didn't want to be on camera and, and yeah, you said, yeah. hey, well, like, what does that sound like? We've kind of pushed them into it. I mean, my, it was, they approached us to make a documentary about the um, homelessness program that they did or the uh, the homelessness aspect of the program. So the overall program is called Joining Forces and it's a big like veter- push to encourage uh, veterans groups and it's a collaboration with a bunch of different outside groups. Um, that you know usually do the actual activities and have the money, and they're kind of like a coordinating and, and like like inspiring sort of um, operation. Um, so they wanted us to cover that, and I like I it, I found it interesting, but I was also was like I'm not gonna I don't know I don't want to do a documentary about like homeless veterans because it's like 
like I wouldn't watch it. Like that's like that's it's such a downer subject. There's like there's something so obvious about it, like that it's like you're like yeah, they're like they're they're homeless and they're homeless for a given reason and they shouldn't be and like it's something that needs fixing. It's just like I, I couldn't like I didn't see where. What's the interesting where new I would thing. learn something? Yeah, right, that it's like it was just like it's it's a point, and it's like and it's like I'm obviously not going to go like live and pretend to be fucking homeless because I'm like one, I can't do that. Like right. I, I won't actually be homeless while I'm doing that. Two, that's offensive. Like it's just like that's, yeah, like that's the worst. That's what people mm-hmm. I think feel like who hate the show probably think I would go into. Like that's the worst fucking thing on earth. Go <laughs> right. pretend I'm fucking homeless. It's so with a bunch of real homeless people. It's like, so Jesus cold Christ. out here. Yeah. I don't know where I'm gonna get my next meal. <laughs> Cover myself hey. in like soot or yeah. something. Hey, producer, can you go? Pick Pick up some Big Macs yeah, for yeah. us. <laughs> Precisely. Um, but so, so I wasn't like interested in that. But I, I thought it was like, it was like I am interested in the First Lady and like the the East Wing of the White House and how that works because I don't know anything about it, and I don't think anybody has done a really good documentary about the East Wing or the First Lady. Um, that's really like to the effect that they've done like you know the War Room or something where you get like a real behind the scenes sense of how politics work. Um, and uh, and so I thought I was like I was like well you know like if I would love to do a documentary about that and um, about the East Wing and if what you guys were working on was the homeless problem then like that's front and center and then necessarily we are going to be covering the homeless problem via covering you yeah and I think that's kind of like a spoonful of sugar to help people like you know watch a thing that is you know that at its heart is about like you know. Uh, the issue of veterans homelessness and stuff like that yeah without like dedicating themselves to being like you know because like it takes a, a form like, of, a form like, of oh, i had a rough day what do you want to do tonight moral hey, commitment. Let's, let's learn about veterans homelessness yeah oh, like, you feel like it's like, like people or who, we could watch game of thrones <laughs> people who punish themselves through their media choices or feel like yeah you have right to, like it's like eating healthy right <laughs> you well, have to a, suffer a little bit. right well it's about right. finding the interesting thing within it yeah right and um and it was just like and that is interesting that how does it how does it operate yeah. what uh, how do you go get one person from off the street which you did who was a, a homeless veteran and um allow and basically i'll i'll give a little bit of the background yeah. you can correct me if i'm wrong on any on any of this but you went you found someone who was a homeless veteran um, formally, yeah. Formally, he was almost at that point, yeah. And um, basically prepped him to then go give um, an introduction speech to Michelle Obama, and through it, it was kind of his story of finding housing, yeah, and preparing for this speech, right? Like the big moment in that story was him giving this speech, yeah, introducing Michelle, which, which inherently you're talking about uh, about homeless veterans but you're doing it in this kind of roundabout and sneaky way where you're you're rooting for the guy yeah rather than being depressed oh yeah 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 for sure yeah what um it's just nothing good comes of being depressed about the homeless i feel like i just don't think that like it's that's a natural you feel like that's the proper thing to feel like and and you should because it's upsetting that right. people do that but it just doesn't lead to action you know would you would you say that you can't early, live there. i mean so vice is notorious for covering an issue hard hitting no. and then saying like well we're fucked or yeah, you right. know something and then it's like oh god damn all right but would you say that the world is fucked the world know, is fucked right? would you yeah. would you say that from your time there you have um you have learned or leaned more towards the world being less fucked yeah the world being less fucked or at least covering stories in a way that you find to be more helpful to people 
Yeah, I, I don't think about it from like that. It that that thinking hasn't guided my sort of uh, like evolution. Yeah, like I'm not. I haven't started thinking of it in in a, in terms of like how to make something more palatable for an audience. But like, I definitely feel as I like get older, you get like a little more mellow about. You, I, I don't know. You just start seeing things happening again, and it's harder to like you know, like you realize that everything kind of just goes through a cycle and that like this isn't you know like thinking like the the crisis with like kind of like left-wing identity politics and you know like um and and the classic like the language policing you know and like how people you know how people refer to you know people by appropriate gender and like by appropriate names and stuff like that and how when they don't that it's like it's you know it creates uh, like a sense of like hostility and it's really nasty for people. And it's like, I went through and how, you know, the forces against it are these organized kind of fascist, uh, there's the fascist right wing and there's the like the super progressive left wing and yeah like the that. social justice warrior left or the yeah so and you, so and you one s- of them's gonna win and it's gonna fuck the country either way right but like I saw this in the 90s and like to a different extent because the internet wasn't like just you know supercharging it and like like I feel like I, I it, it warms my heart you know to feel kids who are really like ramped up about their cause and shit like that, but I also don't like like the whole idea that like you know right. You've had your finger on the pulse. They're gonna put us in camps. Enough like, times. They're gonna put us in camps so many times. I'm just like oh, that's cute. You actually think they're gonna put you in camps, right? And so it's like I don't think the world's gonna end. It's like the like I think there's things we need to fucking fix. I think like, yeah, the the plastics, like the 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 result um the uh, the gyre plastics in the ocean yeah, yeah and and elsewhere like just like the uh the buildup of uh synthetic uh synthetic materials all over the world in the ecology is potentially disastrous for our uh for our genetics yeah which is you know something we can't solve i think the lingering effects of radiation are a really big problem and i think uh climate change is you know something that people need to like stop bickering about and like figure, like i don't know just i think there was a group called the what are they called the breakthrough institute who had uh who were like I guess you call them post environmentalists. They're environmentalists who got kicked out of the Sierra Club for thinking like maybe we just need to re like instead of being like no like we like humans are bad and we need to like reverse the things like maybe we think about it pro human hmm. and they're like we just need to like it's like we need to make new energy for humans like like instead of being like we need to take new energy like we need to create some sort of like cold fusion because coal's so nasty and right like, well why don't we just make new cold fusion because humans are great champions of new technology and that would create like you know it would save tons of money and that would be like uh, we could make starships out of that or whatever right you know like just like as a way of thinking about it right so it's a new way of thinking about an issue that's that we're still taking on yeah yeah and so it's still it's still like solving the problem it's just like not being as uh there's uh it was was changing the paradigm of thinking i believe right referred to it from the like the the pollution paradigm which is that we need to curb something that humans do um to uh to an innovative approach. Right. Yeah. Would you say that there's something um, in your childhood that kind of led you to being so fascinated with of such a wide variety of subcultures and getting so much joy out of embedding with them? Um, well, I grew up in like suburban Atlanta, which is kind of like the suburbs anywhere in the United States. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very strip molly and, and kind of uh, it's a... Uh, it's safe but pretty boring, you know. Right. Like, and as a teenager, you kind of, you know, you have to figure out how to have your own fun, and you get into trouble and, and that kind of thing. 
Um, but it's very like it's the overwhelming kind of essence of you know the suburbs when I was growing up in there is kind of like a blankness and um, you feel like you know you're detached from any sense of uh, like identity be it like you know ethnic or social or whatever like and people you know ask like I'm from Georgia and so people are like oh you know like what's it like being from like the south or being from Georgia or whatever and I was like I don't really know it's like I know what it's like to be like 20 like I feel like I have more in common with someone who lived, so I grew up 20 minutes outside of Atlanta. And I feel like I probably have more in common with somebody who grew up 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia or Chicago than I do with somebody who grew up 40 minutes outside of Atlanta, right? Up in the hills, you know, um, it's its own it's its own identity, but it's also just just this completely blank identity. And so I was fascinated, like you fill the gap of that with like teenage subcultures and stuff, which is the first gap. I was like goth for a couple of years, and I had friends who were punks, and that all existed. Um, and you learn about you learn about things elsewhere that are you know that seem like that seem like actual identities that seem like actual cultures. You know, I read a lot of National Geographic growing up because we had a big stack of those around the house, and go to the library and learn about people in different uh, different groups. But I think yeah, I think uh, growing up kind of devoid of a of a ready made um, or accessible sort of identity as you know a blank american or whatever like uh really led to looking at that um and trying to figure out what it means and what what all those you know what all those different groups of people what they have that is different from other groups and you know right what, uh, what they what what it's like to grow up like that where i feel like i grew up without without that at all you know and i had to like i tried to make things but that's like its own kind of it's like that scene nonsense. in the matrix in the white room where there's nothing around him. Which one is? Yeah, you know, the one where he's matrix? like, "These are the building blocks, Neo. Like, this is the white room, right?" And then they create the world from that white one. Remember oh. that? Is that, that where, he, where he brings out the? I this, is, this is a Duracell battery. You know, the Duracell battery scene. No, I don't. Is that the? It's not the first movie, Matrix movie. The right? first Matrix. The it's first, the first Matrix. one. Yeah, where he's taking. He's like, "Where am I?" Ah. And then he's like, "These are the building blocks, Neo. This is the." And then he brings out that we want to turn a, a human being into one of this, one of these. Shit. Oh, I don't even remember that. That's crazy. Who is, is it? Morpheus. Is Morpheus. Yeah, Morpheus, and he's got his shades on. And the, they're in a white the, room. And they're in the white room. Dude, anyway. I haven't seen that in forever. That's insane. I don't even remember that scene. Anyway, I Man. picture you in the white room growing up. Kind of. And, and then, as you do your stories, you gain a little bit of. Would you say that you gain uh, the aspects of people's subcultures when you? visit them do like, like I adopt yeah you're, them. you're like yeah do you adopt them you're like oh go get the ranchers come back to the Maybe. offices with some with a cowboy hat for a few some, days yeah i mean if i do it's usually like an article of clothing right <laughs> i pick up like i'll start wearing a bandana or some right. bullshit for a week. <laughs> um, I, I would always do that when i would i uh i'll go to burning man most years mm-hmm. and then i'll come back and i'll be i'll wear some uh like some necklace the post burn the post burn yeah. like give people longer hugs like a good deep <laughs> good deep inhale good deep exhale and that'll last for about a week and the then we'll be like oh, hug, yeah. fucking hippies God yeah. <laughs> it is funny though how we we're, we do constantly morph right and that's the yeah. whole yeah i mean and even from what what you do what we see on screen we are morphing with what it is, whatever it is that we're consuming, and we're trying to figure out who it is that we are. And you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, goal setting, right? When we set a big goal for ourselves, and we have to go through difficult experiences. It chips away at our identity, and we learn yeah. a little bit more about who we are. But it is, um, 
it's cool to see that you've kept such an open mind to new cultures because I think that one of the most dangerous things we have in the world right now is a lack of empathy, right? Uh-huh. It's like, well, fuck those people over there. I have nothing in common with yeah. them. And that's what can lead to a lot of um, the worst human rights violations, a lot of the horrible stuff that we're seeing now, or they can deal with our trash because I have nothing in common with them. That all happens initially from a lack of empathy for other people. Sure. Um, And I, I do think that you have a skill in, in empathizing and not judging people, um, from a, from a, an authentic place. Thank you. Yeah, man. It's super cool. Bum, bum, bum. I hope that you enjoyed that podcast with Thomas. If you like the show, give it a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you are tuning in from. You can reach out to me anytime on Facebook or Instagram. Give me feedback on the show, recommend new guests, or just stop by to say hello. All right. Get outside. Give someone a high five. And I will see you soon.